Hello again. This is Mystery Podcast, and I'm author Sherry Todd Bayshore. Today is the second of three chapters from my young teen award-winning adventure fantasy trilogy, The Crow Child. Chapter 2. The entire seventh grade got detention ten minutes after the last Monday morning bell rang. This week hadn't begun well for Elijah. First, his day started with Larry Swallowtail. Next, his perpetually dieting teacher, whose nerves were generally on the verge of igniting, suffered a complete collapse of what was left of her sense of humor. Mrs. Birch had been at the chalkboard with her back to the class when she sneezed. It wasn't just any sneeze. Elijah looked up when he heard it and recognized it as the kind that reshuffles a person's ribs. Besides that, the force of Mrs. Birch's sneeze was too much for the fragile seams of her tight cotton blouse. Both side seams tore simultaneously, and it reminded Elijah of the Hulk. The sudden shredding of cloth echoed loudly, and the entire classroom erupted in spontaneous laughter. When she spun around, Elijah expected Mrs. Birch might turn green like the Hulk, but she didn't. It was worse. Her eyes bulged against a bright red face that screamed in a piercing bark, You're all on detention for a week. And she vanished with the slam of the classroom door behind her. Nothing moved. No one took a breath. Then barely a swallow in time later, the principal, Father Philbrook, flew into the room, followed by Mrs. Birch, who wore a large black cardigan. Without looking up, she pulled her purse from the bottom drawer of her desk and was gone again. The priest's glare shot nails at every student while he lectured them on the importance of character and the consideration of others. You have upset your devoted teacher so severely she must go home to recover from your cruel brutality. He rummaged in the supply closet, then opened a package of plain white copy paper. He pulled out several sheets. Here, hand these out, one for each of your fellow clowns. He dropped the paper on the desk of Elijah's cousin, Jason. So, the first order of the next hour will be that each of you create a get-well card for Mrs. Birch with a sincere apology printed neatly inside. No one was allowed to talk or even fold the paper with any noise. Everyone had to sit still with their feet together, soles flat on the floor under their desk. Father Philbrook paced up and down the rows of students frozen at their desks like he was the warden of a prison. At first, Elijah was miserable at the thought of being confined to the classroom with extra homework for every recess for the rest of the week. But when he gave it more thought, detention seemed better than trying to dodge his two cousins and Larry every day. That was until Father Philbrook announced he would fill in for Mrs. Birch for the entire week. By the end of the morning, Elijah was almost looking forward to Larry's shoving and James' verbal insults. It was a misery toss-up between an irritable priest and a bad-tempered school bully. Grade 7 kept working through their recess, and when lunch period arrived, they ate in total silence. When each student in turn finished eating, Father Philbrook insisted that they hold up their hand and wait for permission to go to the washroom. The hall outside the boys' washroom was empty, so Elijah hurried in. He was relieved there was no one inside either. But when he came out, Larry and James and Joseph were coming down the hall toward him. Well, if it isn't sick stick boy. Elijah had no time to hide or escape. Larry, James, and Joseph were between him and the prison classroom. But facing them in the hall was preferable to retreating back into the isolation of the boys' washroom. 
In March, he had barely escaped having his head dunked into one of the urinals. You got anything to hold while you pee, you defect? Larry elbowed James, and they both laughed. Joseph smiled awkwardly. His cousin James was in grade nine. He'd be 15 in the summer and was 11 inches taller than Elijah's four feet six inches. Larry was already 16 and another five inches taller than James. Joseph was in grade eight and six inches taller than Elijah. The trio towered over him. Maybe it had been Larry's sarcastic remark on the bus that morning, or maybe it had been Mrs. Birch's dumping her class with detention, or maybe it had been the confining morning with Warden Philbrook. But Elijah suddenly realized he'd likely be stuck with Larry Swallowtail until high school graduation, and in that moment, on that decaying Monday, Elijah decided he was going to stop praying on his rosary for God to send Larry to another school, preferably in another country. Ignoring Larry, he looked directly at both of his cousins. My dad was your mom's brother, you know. We have the same grandfather. Why are you two hanging around this insect? If we get Jason, that's four of us against one. Larry needs you more than you need him. Think about it. He's going to get you into trouble some day. Don't be such stumps. Elijah's last few words were a raspy effort. With his heart punching at his ribs, he pushed by Larry and between his two cousins, then walked chin up, shaking all the way back to his classroom, where he thought for sure he'd throw up his lunch. Scene change. There was no sign of Larry or James after class, while the reservation and farm kids gathered to wait for their buses. Curious, Elijah asked his cousin Joseph, who was still playing big shot. None of your business. I'm telling Mum, George appeared with Spring. Yeah, what are you telling Mum? George looked unsure. That you said none of your business to Elijah. So? So you weren't talking nicely. Shut up. You're just as stupid as he is. Joseph pointed to Elijah, then walked away. Elijah's cousin Sarah joined the family group and retied Spring's hair ribbons. Who's stupid? Spring got her older sister caught up. Joseph said George and Elijah were stupid. Here comes our bus. Jason whispered behind Sarah as the kids jostled to get in line. Larry and James had to stay after school. The line to get into the bus moved slowly. Why? Sarah looked from her brother to her cousin Elijah. Jason looked around for his older brother, but couldn't see him. Joseph wasn't sure completely, but Larry passed James a note in chemistry that James passed back to Larry, and Mr. Fitch caught them. Something about Mr. Fitch being a fag. Scene change. Elijah had kept his eyes closed for the entire bus ride home. When he jumped from the bottom step of the bus to the gravel on the road, he stood for a moment, relieved this day was over. Only the high-pitched whinny of his horse arrow brought his head up. The south section of the corral fencing extended five feet beyond the trees along Grandpa's driveway. Half dragging, half carrying his backpack, he ran toward the big, gentle, furry gift that he got when he turned seven. Arrow! He dropped his backpack at the side of the driveway and climbed up the fence to sit on the top rail. His horse whinnied again and shook his head excited. When Elijah leaned over to lay his cheek against the horse's nose, Arrow stood still. Man, this day was poop, Arrow. The horse listened to the boy's voice, then nudged him with a throaty response. Elijah jumped to the ground inside the corral, and they walked to the barn together. First, Larry started in again. You don't ever want to meet him. He's a mistake of nature. 
Climbing the ladder to the hayloft, Elijah pushed open one of the hayloft doors that swung out over the corral. When the door opened, Arrow looked up and backed out of the way. After snipping the binder twine, Elijah threw chunks of hay from the bale to the ground below, but Arrow waited. Back on the barn's lower floor, lifting the lid of a wooden bin, Elijah scooped three cups of oats for Arrow. Then my whole class got detention when Mrs. Birch ripped her own blouse because she can't stay on a diet. He poured the oats into a wide, shallow plastic bowl. The blouse was too small for her anyway. Arrow savored his oats. I don't even know how she got the thing buttoned up. When Arrow finished his oats, Elijah picked up the bowl and spread more clumps of hay from the dropped bale around the ground for Arrow to eat. Then he got out the step stool and brushes to groom away some of the heavy winter coat Arrow was starting to shed. So Mrs. Birch has this hissy fit and goes home. He leaned on Arrow's back for a moment. And then we get stuck with Father Philbrook, who's like some kind of genius, but a majorly grumpy genius, and it's been like a hundred years since he was twelve. Elijah jumped down to brush Arrow's mane. The horse turned his head, bumping Elijah with his nose. And then Larry shows up again, and those knuckleheads James and Joseph are with him. I know there's nothing in Larry's head except deer droppings. Seriously. But James and Joseph listened to him. He stood back. You look much better. Arrow raised his gray-colored head with a double white star on the bridge of his nose. The nine-year-old gelding was part quarter horse and part Appaloosa, with the distinctive markings of the Appaloosa across the top of his rump. Let's go check on Dart. Maybe she can come out for an hour. Arrow followed Elijah all the way into the barn to a closed stall. Inside, a small black mare covered by a horse blanket whinnied a greeting. Holding her halter, Elijah took Dart's temperature in her ear with a gauge left by their veterinarian. Hey, you don't have a temperature today at all. We can let you stretch your legs for a little while. He opened the stall gate wide. The two horses greeted each other, then trotted outside. Elijah split open a second bale and pushed it out, then closed the upper hayloft door. He gave both horses a hug, then headed back to climb the fence. When he picked up his backpack, Arrow was eating hay, and Dart had lifted her head to the wind. Elijah mimicked the mare. The air felt damp and heavy with the scent of wet dirt. If the temperature dropped again, there would be snow instead of rain. Inside the back door, Elijah could smell Grandpa's meatloaf. It was the best. Not even Aunt Dawn can make meatloaf like her father. Grandpa, right here, Rock Clearwater's head came up. He'd been bending over an open cardboard box. Between the sofa and the split rock fireplace on the far side of the A-frame cabin's living room, there were three more open cardboard boxes. I fed and brushed Arrow already, Grandpa. Elijah kicked off his boots and hung up his jacket. He pulled his backpack behind him only as far as the kitchen table then left it there to see what his grandfather was doing. I checked Dart, and she didn't have a fever anymore, so I let her out of her stall. Is that okay? Rock Clearwater stopped sorting through photos in an envelope and looked up at his grandson and then his watch. That's perfectly okay, but let's make sure that we get her back inside in about an hour. How was your day? Like I told Arrow, it was poop. He dropped down on one end cushion of the sofa. As he did with Arrow, Elijah candidly shared his Monday mess with his grandfather. You called Larry an insect? He is. He's a slithering millipede. How is calling Larry Swallowtail an insect going to improve your situation? Elijah shrugged. 
I tried ignoring him. I tried not talking to him. I tried praying for him to go away, back to Calgary, somewhere else, anywhere except here. Grandpa Clearwater turned his head slightly to one side. I know Larry's grandmother, Eliza, very well. Eliza and her late husband, Lawrence Snow, were good friends of your grandmother and mine when we were kids in school together. But Lawrence died when Larry's mother, Lily, was your age. Larry's mother was the youngest by ten years to her next sibling, was sent away to live with her older sister while her mother, Eliza, coped with her grief. Lily ran away from her sister's house with Larry's father when she was only fifteen. Are you saying I should feel sorry for Larry Swallowtail? Because both my parents died, and so did my grandmother, and I was born with C.F. Rock placed a gentle hand on his grandson's knee. Compassion is what we must feel for anyone who is hurting. Larry's too mean to hurt. Everyone has a story, Elijah. Everyone. Larry's unhappy. We know this because happy people don't seek to torment others. Mrs. Birch is unhappy, too. And unhappy people can be a worry. I'm not trying to excuse Larry, or even Mrs. Birch, just to explain them. Do you think you can understand the difference? Elijah nodded. Then he frowned. But what about Father Philbrook? Father Philbrook is not an unhappy person, just a perfectionist who gets frustrated when his neat and tidy plans are interrupted. Ugh! Elijah put both hands on top of his head. How do you tell the difference? Rock Clearwater smiled. By observing people carefully and giving them the benefit of your doubt. Elijah shook his head. Yeah? Well, today I observed one people who wanted to punch me in the head, a second people who gave me detention. I've never had detention. And a third people who tortured me at my desk all day. We had to sit like we were statues, barely breathing. Scene change. They ate Grandpa's meatloaf, mashed sweet potatoes, and green beans in silence for several minutes. Rock watched his grandson eat. Any cramps today? No, my gut was good. That was about the only good thing today. I really liked the new dressing on my lunch salad. What was that? A raspberry vinaigrette. What are you doing with all those boxes? Elijah pointed behind him with his fork. I was looking for the photo album your mother brought with her from Ireland. We can trace your First Nations heritage in Canada back 400 years, but we have nothing about your mum's family and the O'Day clan from Ireland. After putting Dart back into her stall for the night, Elijah tried to read one of his mystery books from the school library, but fell asleep. When the clock struck at midnight, he woke up, turned off his bed lamp, then fell asleep again. Scene change. Elijah dreaming. Prince Dade walked along the oxen that carried his mate and newborn daughter. The second oxen carried Ona's mother, Lee, and then her sister, Teo. Tan walked several paces ahead, while Leaf walked several paces behind. They had kept a slow, steady pace along the tree line and short grasses where deer grazed, so they wouldn't be so easy to track if Tor's men came this way. When the moon was high, they had stopped to sleep. Before the first light, an owl called out and woke the restless prince. He sat up, careful not to disturb the covering over Ona and their baby. The cool morning air was thick with the scent of blooming clover. Its sweet flowers were a favorite of the oxen and impatient wild bees. As he looked around their rest spot, the edge of the small meadow was a perfect find. In the moonlight, Reef had discovered tall, thick grass already flattened by a small herd of deer. They staked out oxen to graze along the naturally worn deer path used by raccoon and fox. 
Dade watched as the owl that woke him glided down from a tree and captured a small rat with his clawed feet. Cousin Tor's treacherous betrayal had flashed shock throughout the entire Odeghad clan, dividing members along ethical lines. Tor had gathered artificial loyalty among many farmers, merchants, and military, convinced to follow him with promise of land and higher rank. His father's pet parrot, Ute, had squawked the alarm from an open window in the great house the moment of Tor's treacherous strike, but the bird's warning had been too late to save Dade's father, Chieftain Dea, and his older brother, Prince Roll. Murderously, assassins had assembled in twos for each victim. Just as everyone attending the council meeting was seated, they were rushed and all nine died in a flood of blood by frenzied men driven by greed. Day two had been expected to attend the meeting, but had been delayed when Ona went into labor, as Tor would have been free to claim the crown of the Oday Had plan for right there and right then. With Reef and Tan's help, Prince Dade and what was left of his family had managed to flee Gungadi and hide between the lakes of the Setas River. If they could make it north, as far as the Pavas River in Urdini, they could count on the protection and support of the Fenanga clan, as Chieftain Darin was the mate of Dade's older sister, Iba. The baby stirred, and instantly Ono was awake. Prince Dade reached over and picked up his tiny bundled daughter. The infant blinked several times, then stared at the face before her. I think this little lady should carry the name of Tull, he looked at Ona. Ona smiled. That is a perfect name. She leaned toward Dade and found his lips with hers. Then she rewrapped her baby in clean linens and began to nurse her. Good morning, sire. Tan reached the resting place, coming through the trees. Reef and I took turns sleeping and watching. There is no sign of Tor, Baza, or Kaji, or any of the armed followers. Ona's mother, Lee, appeared from the other side of the meadow, carrying a basket. I have raspberries and blackberries to go with the last of the cold fish. Lee set down the basket. Tail waits by the oxen, and they are fine. Reef joined them, and they gathered around the basket of wild fruit and the cloth-wrapped fish to eat quickly, then leave before the sun rose any higher. This is the end of Chapter 2 to Part 1. And hopefully you're just a little more intrigued today to see what's going to happen to both Elijah and Prince Dade. Thanks again for listening.